Arizona loses to Oregon again, and you have to wonder, is Arizona basketball, and specifically Sean Miller, at the crossroads? This is the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Alice, coming to you from the brand new uh, Wildcat Sports Report Podcast studios, specifically known as my bedroom walk-in closet. Uh, trying to see if maybe a little sound better in here as opposed to the dining room, excuse me, the old studios, and hoping that uh, the privacy this small space uh, provides will not only allow me to record uh, slightly better sounding content, but possibly more content. It's, it's easier to slip away in here than it was to try to get everyone to sleep and recording late at night. So, this podcast, going to delve into Arizona basketball, their struggles of late, and, and just kind of what that means for the program, because I really feel... Uh, Arizona losing 63-61 on Saturday to Oregon. I really feel now that this is an Arizona basketball team and maybe an Arizona basketball program that might be at sort of a crossroads. We may be coming uh, to some some tough decisions about the direction of this program and what happens. Let's first go to the Arizona game, uh, playing the Ducks. And the Ducks, you know, jumped out to a, to a, a pretty good-sized lead. Arizona battles back. And then it was a great game throughout. Um, Arizona holding a, a small lead late, and then the Ducks uh, rallied with uh, back-to-back three-pointers, including one that was just some bad defense. And then Arizona got a look at it at the end. And this is where some of my concerns are. Arizona played as if they didn't realize that Oregon had a foul to give. So Arizona plays for the last shot. Um and and really not even sure they played for the last shot because uh, when when Oregon commits the foul, there's only a little over one second left. Um, and Arizona really didn't even appear to be getting into a, a regular offense. Now, whether that was a lack of Wildcat players understanding the situation, whether that was a lack of... Uh, coaches informing them of the situation, whether that was just Oregon playing great defense and really flustering a young team, I'm not sure. But the fact is, if you know that Oregon has the foul to give, you've got to start your offense earlier because they'll do just that. Uh, You know, ideally coaches with a foul to give want you to foul with five or six seconds left uh, and then make them reset. You played right in their hands by... Uh, letting them foul with, with with one second left. Ideally, you'd like to try, you know, hopefully force them into to fouling with with like six or seven seconds left, and then regroup and then try. Because in reality, you want to get that shot attempt off with what two three seconds left. That way, if there is an offensive rebound, you get the putback. Um, that way, if you do make the shot and there's a little time left, there's not a whole lot where they can advance the ball because you know you're you're rebounding, you're inbounding from below uh, the basket. However, Arizona didn't. Now that being said, Arizona then gets the foul, goes in. Uh, and drew up, and whether that was the play they drew up or not, I don't know, but Kirk Creesa had a really good look at it. Um, maybe not the guy you want taking that shot from an experience standpoint, only in his, what, third game uh, back from, from the suspension. Um, but, or his third game at all after having the suspension, let me, let me clarify that. But he got the ball wide open, 
um, did do the little pump fake to let the defender go by him. I've seen some people said he should have taken the contact. I honestly like the move. And let me say, yes, you could have possibly drawn the contact, got the foul, go to the line, then you're hitting two to try to send the game to overtime. But if for some reason the ref doesn't make the call, if the defender avoids you all together, if, um, you know, he just stops and, and you never and you don't get the shot off or don't get a good shot off. Um, so I actually like what he did by trying to you know make the defender miss. He had enough time and had a fairly open, if not rushed, three and it really wasn't even close. Um, but the idea was sound. And whether that's how it was drawn up, and, and yes, in a perfect world you're attacking the basket, but you had one second left. The fact that you can get a pretty open look from the top of the key, multiple, you know, kind of picks down in the paint. I thought it was uh, it was about as good as you could ask for in that situation. Creesa just wasn't uh, wasn't close enough. So so Arizona uh, drops to fourteen and seven, but they're eight and seven in conference. Um, I think more importantly. They've not lost six straight to Oregon, and most of them have been good games. It's not like Oregon's blown them out, but you've lost six straight to the Ducks, who right now, even though they're not having a great season, still having a very good season um, at 12-4, and 7-3 in conference, are, pro- are the cream of the crop. They have supplanted Arizona as the top uh, dog in the conference. And if you really want to look at it, Arizona's lost 9 of 11 since beating Oregon in the 2015 Pac-12 Tourney uh, title game. Even worse, they've lost not only four straight to UCLA, who has probably also supplanted Arizona at the top, uh, certainly in recruiting, but you've lost four straight at McHale. So at best, right now, Arizona may be the third best program in in the Pac-12. And while you could certainly make an argument that, uh, you know, being second to UCLA is, is at least a, a blip in the radar, but it's UCLA, but... You know, Oregon, frankly, yeah, Altman's owned Miller. I know this overall series is pretty close because Miller did very well against Altman. Uh, But, you know, they're getting better recruits. They're getting better transfers. They're the last team uh, to play in the Final Four, while Arizona has, again, not been to a Final Four since uh, 2001. Um, So the question is, you know, where is the program? And there's a lot of reasons for where Arizona is, where they are. Obviously, you have the COVID situation. You have a very young team. You lost some guys last year I don't think you expected to lose. Uh, you've had a reliance on transfers. You've had the specter of the NCAA hanging over you. Um, so a lot of things at play there. And I, I see people, you know, are really debating the future of Sean Miller. And, and I think it's... For the first time, maybe not the first time, but I think it's a it's a debate that needs to be had. You know, at one point, Sean Miller was eleven and four with three Elite Eight uh, appearances in the NCAA tournament. Eleven and four, and that doesn't even include how good he did going back to uh, Xavier. Since then, he's two and three, including the two first round losses, which were both blowouts. Uh, both of very inferior seeded teams. I think we could all argue that Wichita State team was better than their seed. Uh, they missed the NCAA tournament in 2019. They were probably going to be uh, somewhere between a 7 and 10 seed last year. And this year, um, they'd be on the bubble and probably on the outside looking in if they didn't have the self-imposed penalties. 
maybe more damning is that the Wildcats' worst finish in Miller's first nine seasons was fourth in the Pac-12. One of those was his first year. We inherited a roster that was kind of in flux. Um, and one of those was the year they went to the NIT when, again, he was still trying to construct the roster. But that was fourth. Uh, since then, you know, in years 10, 11, 12, eighth, fifth, and then this year they're currently in sixth. Um, now, does that mean they're going to finish sixth? I don't know. Um, but you got to look at that and wonder, you know, is, again, is Arizona losing their footing? While people are ready to proclaim ASU, I, I don't think they're quite there yet. You know, USC's been hit or miss under Andy Infield. I think in reality, though, right now at this time, Arizona is the third best program in the Pac-12 behind Oregon and UCLA. And you have to wonder if that remains. That's not good enough. And, you know, I hate to be one of these guys who puts these undue pressure, but when you look at what Lute Olson built... Uh, Arizona kind of should always be one of the two top programs. If you look for most of Lute's run, once they won that first uh, Pac-12 title, you know, for a while it was them and it was UCLA. And then UCLA dropped off a little bit. And then it was them and Stanford. Uh, and, you know, and other good teams. For a while it was Arizona and Washington or Arizona and Oregon. Then Miller comes and puts them back on. And it's really been some kind of combination of Arizona, Washington, Arizona, UCLA, or Arizona, Oregon. But the, the key thing, it's always been Arizona. And now maybe for the first time since the mid-80s, Arizona. And again, there's been blips at the end of the Lute Olsen era. Arizona had really slipped, uh, really, after that 2005 run, they, they had slipped in stature. Um, but for the most part, Arizona should be, and again, among the top three is probably fine, but they can't slip any further. Now, we also have revisionist history here, obviously with the passing of Lute Olson, obviously as we are now over a decade removed from Lute's last game, um, much like Dick Tomey, some people forget the negatives. And there weren't a ton of negatives in the Lute Olsen era, um, but Lute had his tournament struggles. Lute had uh, the first-round exits. Lute had some great teams who didn't get past the Sweet 16 when they should have. But if there's also one thing you can count on, it was the consistency of Lute Olsen's program. Now, it's a different era. Miller is working with different set of standards. Lute didn't have a player declare early until Brian Williams and uh, really, you know, lost guys after two years, but rarely lost a guy, rarely had any one and dones and had more guys stay longer than you expected um, than maybe you thought could happen. And that was a testament to Lute and the types of guys he brought in. You know, he only had a couple uh, two-year players, and one of those in Marcus Williams was kind of sort of forced out. So Lute benefited from guys who stayed, and that's just not what happens now, at least at the elite programs. That being said, he's created the standard, and that standard has to be upheld. And, and maybe, again, a run of 25 straight NCAA tournaments is not going to happen. I mean, we can look at what's even going on at Duke and Carolina and Kentucky this year. Uh, those, All three of those, especially Duke and, and Kentucky, may miss the tournament. So it's hard to maintain that excellence in the day and age of, of guys opting out early. Um, but, you know, I think Arizona deserves to be in a certain level, and they've slipped from that level. Now, why? And, and a lot of it is the NCAA things and the specter of the NCAA and how somehow Arizona has become uh, 
the poster child for this FBI scandal, which I find a little bit strange. Um, you know, if you look at it, several teams were involved. Um, you know, Auburn's involved. This would be Bruce Pearl's second run-in with the NCAA, but somehow he is not branded the, the cheater that Miller is. And, you know, Andy Enfield's being able to skate a little bit. And really, it's become Will Wade and Sean Miller. Now, the allegations against Miller, according to those wiretaps, were that, you know, he was the bag man himself. And, uh, you know, Will Wade was caught on tape, basically sounded like he was talking about possibly, if not probably, paying a player and the other guys haven't. I get it. Um, but as of now, you know, there was not enough in those wiretaps for it to have anyone actually come after Olson from the federal government. And now the NCAA is trying. Um, it's interesting because if you look out there, there are a lot of people who are giving Miller their full support and they want them, others who want him gone yesterday because they feel he is a cheat. I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it again. Why I believe there is wrongdoing under Miller's watch, I don't believe he personally handed a bag of cash or, or whatever it was to DeAndre Ayton, as was kind of insinuated in that phone call. And I'm not even sure anything that has happened at Arizona is not exactly what's occurring at every other major basketball program in the country, uh, with the exception of what we heard on the wiretaps. Now, does that make it right? No. Uh, does that mean Miller isn't complicit? I don't know. Um, again, from everything I'm hearing of what the NCIA has, there's very little about improper payments or, or benefits to players. It's mostly lack of institutional control. It's, you know, the, the possible uh, academic, um, advice that, that, uh, Phelps, coach Phelps gave towards Sharif O'Neal. It could, you know, there was a loan, uh, made to Keanu Pender so he could travel home to Australia that was not properly reported. Um, but I'd be stunned, and again, not saying it's not there, if there's anything that directly points to Miller or any of the assistant coaches uh, flat-out paying players. Doesn't mean money didn't get to players. Uh, we all know that, you know, and I've said this, uh, really, if you want to be paid as a basketball player, there's a way to get paid. Whether that is your shoe company, your AAU team, finding an agent, finding a street agent, finding uh, an alum. Um, that ha happens. And it probably has happened at Arizona. I'd be stunned if it hasn't. But it happens at Duke. It happens at Kansas. It happens at Kentucky. It's happening at USC. It's happening at Auburn under Bruce Pearl. It happened at LSU. It happens everywhere. I'd be stunned if it doesn't happen at Gonzaga. They have enough high-end players that, you know, again, I don't think Mark Few's handing over bags of cash, but I'd be stunned if at least some of the players on that roster haven't figured out a way to benefit from being basketball players. The big difference is the bribery scandal. And, you know, there is no doubt that the assistant coach Butch Richardson, Book Richardson, took money. Um, but that's a different scenario because that was the basically the FBI fishing, trying to get coaches to take the bribe, trying to get their hooks into these high-level coaches. And, and what they didn't realize is these assistants, the, the money that was being paid to these assistants, uh, wasn't enough for them to, to, to jeopardize their, their bigger roles at the university, but it was enough to pad their pockets. And as I've said before, Book, I believe, had some money troubles, was using that money, you know, not to recruit, not to pulling it, but basically to pay off some debt, pay, pay off some, some things he owed. And I think that might be true of some of these other assistants. So while I'm not saying Arizona is innocent, I'm not sure Arizona is this 
rogue uh, program uh, that, that I think many in the national media certainly are painting them out to be. That doesn't mean Miller shouldn't be held accountable. And again, we'll find out what exactly the program is being um, accused of, because we don't know. Again, ESPN, if you haven't heard, is suing for the notice of allegations. Arizona won't make that uh, public until after. Um, so, again, maybe there's a big smoking gun that we're missing, but I think if there was a big smoking gun, Arizona might have moved on. I think, again, if Arizona ends up moving on from Sean Miller, it'll be because the basketball program's not what it was five years ago under Sean Miller. And some of that you can blame on Miller. Some of that you can blame on the NCAA. Some of that you can blame on just good hires in the Pac-12. You know, Dana Altman found his footing at Oregon. Has made that a stellar program. UCLA made a really good hire, it appears. Uh, you know, Stanford's starting to come around. Uh, ASU's improved. Um, so the competition that Arizona has for recruits, especially West Coast recruits, is a little tougher than it used to be. And and, and frankly, it's when you've had a lack of success over the last four years, Arizona's really been kind of a, a, a middle-of-the-road, kind of a top-30 program, not a top-10 program. It's harder to get those athletes. And in many ways, I think that's good for Arizona because you don't necessarily want to continue to build with uh, these, these one-and-dones. But at the same time, you need star power. You need guys who can take you a long way in the NCAA tournament. So assuming there's no big smoking gun, and assuming Arizona continues upon the pace that they're at right now, and they finish somewhere in the neighborhood of, of like a 20 and 10, um, you know, should Arizona move on? And my initial gut feeling is that no, they shouldn't. That Arizona has talent in place. This team has, uh, I think they've underachieved a slight bit, to be honest. Um, but, you know, you've had the injury to Baker, you've had the injuries to Irely, you've had Kirk Creason not being able to play. You're trying to mix a lot of young guys when you didn't have the full benefit of a summer. Um, but I think they should. Be, I don't think there's any way you should be losing by double figures to Utah. I don't think you should be losing to Colorado the way Colorado looks. Um, you know, I'm not sure you should have lost two to Stanford. Uh, but... I think the future is bright with this team. And I know after the game, Creesa basically said, when I come back next year, when we come back next year. And I think if Arizona can bring back the bulk of this team, if they don't lose too many guys to either transfer the pros, if the seniors want to come back, uh, especially a guy like Terrell Brown, then I think Arizona can be very interesting. You know, you would not only have uh, the players they have now, but you've had a full season of of Kirk Creasy. You have a full, healthy Jamal Baker. You would have the three young guys they're bringing in. Um, you'd add a guy in, in Bacho who is now full, appears mostly healthy, if not fully healthy, and probably could play this year if they just didn't want to bring him along slowly. So without really making a whole lot of moves, you're going to bring in three talented wings and you know, these other guys. And again, I don't think you lose much. I'm not sure Ira Lee comes back. He may just want to move on with his career. Um, and I'm not sure there's a big role for him next year. Uh, I think you could lose a couple guys to the pros. I think M Mathurin is certainly a guy who, who could test the waters. Although I think he looks like a guy right now. There's a, probably a second round draft pick. But, um, you know, we've seen guys not only from Arizona leave uh, with less of a guarantee, but guys across the conference, I think of Dort from ASU, who I think would have been a surefire first rounder if he had come back for his second year. 
Um, I could see them losing Jordan Brown, although Brown's been very inconsistent at the end of the day. He's a near seven-footer. He's very athletic. But, again, I think they bring back the bulk of the team. My biggest fear about the team is losing guys internationally. Is Does Krista decide to go play overseas? Does uh, Tubelis decide to go play overseas? And I think with these guys goal being the NBA, their better path to the NBA right now is to stay at Arizona. Um, you know, Krista has a really good year next year. Then it's certainly easier both from a uh, not dealing with a pro team with exposure to getting drafted, going right to the pros, as opposed to going back to Europe, maybe signing a pro deal, uh, then having those contracts where the NBA team has to buy you out. or um, you know. So I think, again, Crease is not ready for the NBA. I don't think Dubellis is ready for the NBA draft. We don't know what they have in Bacho, but I think their path, once you enter the Arizona, uh, United States University system, is better. So they're going to get the bulk of this team back, and I think the team is going to be pretty good. And I think if you fire Miller, you risk breaking up this team and you risk setting the program back even further. Because right now you're still in a bit of a rebuild. But if you can escape any more serious NCAA sanctions, if this is the limit of their postseason ban, if they the rest of their problems are, tend to be like fines and lack of recruiting visits and lack of uh, recruiting dates and things like that, then I think Arizona can, can survive and thrive. And then basically you're giving, I think, in essence, Miller like a two-year window to prove it, to, to take this team, which will still be young, but then will have a full year under their belt, and can you get them on a nice tournament run next year? Can you continue to add to the roster and, and make an even deeper or, or you know another deep run? And then see where you're at, and if um, you know, if Arizona is in a better place but not in a great place, maybe it is time to part ways with Miller. And maybe Miller's ready to part ways with Arizona. There's all kind of rumblings that he's not happy with Hickey. But if it was my call, and I know the bulk of this roster comes back, then I think I would keep Miller than risk losing the bulk of this roster and having to find a new coach to completely rebuild from scratch because that's essentially what you're probably looking at. And then it depends if you have the right guy or not. If you have the right guy, he recruits well, you bring in a couple studs, and you're back in a year. Um, but if it's the wrong guy, it's going to take several years. And you're going to have to have that, you know, hope to get that first run with some upperclassmen um, and, and then build upon that and, and, and build slowly. And um, that could really, again, put the Arizona basketball program in, in an odd, strange place. Now, there are two exceptions and two things that I would seriously consider uh, moving on from Miller. And again, that's not assuming huge NCAA violation. I think that if there's a big smoking gun, I think if this, um, you know, if there's many things pointing to Miller, whether it's uh, actual infractions or the lack of, of running the program and turning a blind eye, then again, that's a whole different story. But assuming it's this one-year ban and a few other little things. So that's what I'm operating under. But there's two scenarios where I would seriously consider moving on from Miller. And the first is if you could get John Beeline, the old Michigan coach who tried the NBA. It really didn't work. Uh, he left uh, just a few months into, into last season and is kind of sitting out there as a free agent. He's an older coach, but he's a guy who, who kind of wanted every level. Uh, did great things at Michigan. I think if you could get uh, John Beeline and if he wanted to come to Arizona, it might be worth uh, moving on from Sean Miller because you would get rid of that. 
kind of that specter from the NCAA. You'd bring in a proven coach who's gotten to Final Fours and you know can coach at a level like Arizona. There aren't many other guys out there like that who I think are realistic. I, you know, I think if for some reason Brad Stevens left uh, the Boston Celtics, he's either staying in the NBA or he's waiting for for a job where you just step in and win right away and not rebuild. Um, you know, I don't know if there's any young guys except for one, which I will get to, that I would move on. I think the other idea where you would consider moving on from Sean Elliott or Sean Elliott, Sean Miller is Jason Terry. And assuming that you and within the university feel that Terry is close to being ready and is ready to put in the commitment to be a head coach, I think you might roll the dice and kind of pull like a Jawan Howard at Michigan. And and if you haven't looked, Michigan is rolling under Jawan Howard. What Howard did is he took his years of of assistant coaching in the NBA, but continue to add guys with experience, and, and most notably Phil Martelli. So if I'm Arizona and I like what I've seen from Jason Terry behind the scenes, something we don't as casual fans see, I think Terry is a guy who if you keep Terry and probably keep Jack Murphy as his associate head coach, because Murphy is the guy who recruited most of the international players, you can keep the bulk of the roster together. I'm not sure how many other coaches you can bring in unless you bring in a really big name keeps the roster together. And I think that's important because I do think Arizona has something there. If you can bring in, if you tell Terry, here you go, you, Murph, and then you bring in someone much like Phil Martelli is doing for Juwan Howard to kind of be that mentor, whether that's someone Terry played uh, under in the NBA, whether there's an old Pac-12 coach or someone he knows, you know, I'm not I'm not sure you know, I, the first name pops in your head is Jim Rosborough, but I think you even need someone with more head coaching experience than that to come in uh, and kind of be a mentor. And it would it be learning on the on the run. Yes. It'd be learning on the fly. Yes. Uh, is it a guarantee? No. But I think Terry and again, I'm not one of these you have to hire a, a wildcat, but I think if you could get Terry and he can keep this roster and keep a guy like Murph and, and bring in another name who can help guide you, then you might have something there and something where Arizona doesn't slip, where Arizona has uh, a fresh new identity under a guy like Jason Terry, who we know is charismatic, who we know is going to be a dynamic recruiter, who we know knows the game. I mean, he served as an NBA assistant. He's coached some AAU ball. Well, there's not a lot of experience there, and that would be the scary thing. But I think that's a dice you could roll. Now, again... You know, if someone says, hey, guess what? You can bring in Steve Kerr, you bring in Steve Kerr. Hey, you could bring in Luke Walton, and probably bring in Luke Walton. But the realistic scenarios, if you're not going to keep Sean Miller and you can't go get a guy like John Beeline, I think you might roll the dice with Terry. Is it a gamble? Absolutely. I know people are out there like, well, what about Damon Stoudemire? Stoudemire's done a very nice job at Pacific, but I, I don't think he keeps the bulk of this roster. And I think it's... As weird as it sounds, a guy who's won some games at a really tough place to win might be a bigger dice roll. Uh, I think in a perfect world, if Damon becomes the head coach at Arizona, he'd probably move up one more level um, to kind of a Mountain West caliber team, to kind of a higher caliber uh, mid-major team, and then move on to Arizona. That may not be a realistic stepping stone, but I think it would be an interesting uh, thing to look at. 
Now, the other thing I've heard is uh, the argument is, well, is Miller just not a good coach or has he sl- – I think Miller is a good coach. I don't think you can do what you did uh, back in the day under Sean Miller, and that's the Elite Eights, and that's the dominance of the Pac-12 for almost a decade without being a good coach. But I don't think he's taken that leap uh, to being a great coach. I think he's a good to very good system coach who hasn't always brought in the right guys for his system. I think he does tend to micromanage a little bit too much. I think his teams do play a little too tight. I think there's been more and more instances of these scoring droughts that have hurt Arizona in close games, games that probably should have been one-sided games. And now, let's it ha- those happen everywhere. You know, Coach K has scoring droughts. Lute had scoring droughts, but they seem to be a little more common under Miller. And some of that is the fact that you do kind of micromanage your point guards. You don't always have these dynamic scorers who can kind of break from the flow of the offense and get you that quick bucket that you need to kind of get the confidence back. But I do think Miller can be good. I think he can be successful. I think if he can get past the NCAA stuff, he could be successful at Arizona. Uh, But it's not the sure thing I think we would have thought it was four or five years ago when Arizona was coming off those miracle runs where they were, you know, I think you can argue both times they played Wisconsin, they had a legit shot at winning national titles. I think, you know, with Derek Williams, they had a legit shot if they could have gotten past UConn at winning uh, national titles. And frankly, they haven't been that team in a while. Some of that's bad luck. Some of that's been just bad construction of teams. I think the Aiton team com- severely underachieved. I think that was a team that was good enough to make a deep run, uh, you know, even the year before. Um, when you dealt with injury. And, and and frankly, that team that lost in the Sweet 16 to Xavier, I think if Raleigh Alkins doesn't hurt his finger, uh, they probably are easily beat Xavier. And then who knows what happens in that matchup against Gonzaga because back then Miller owned Gonzaga. But there was a time Miller owned Oregon and UCLA, and those times are a little bit done. And so that's why I think uh, Miller and this program are at the crossroads. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens Moving forward, because I don't think it's a sure thing that, that Sean Miller's back in the Arizona bench next year. And I also don't think it's a sure thing that he's not here for several more years. Hey, thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback. You can always uh, reach out uh, at WSR Brad on Twitter. I've got uh, Brad Alice on uh, Facebook or Brad Alice at MSN.com. Love the feedback. Uh, let me know if you like uh the format if there's some things you'd like to hear can we improve the production quality Uh, hopefully if all went well there's a cool theme song in the beginning we're going to rotate those as well so you've been listening to the wildcat sports report podcast thank you for listening and bear down